your microphone is in the wrong place. How about now? everyone and welcome to the outpost a podcast about inspired thinking Woo. i am so glad to be here today how glad are you krista scale of zero to ten? Ten. wait which side is up up is 10 okay 10 you're 10 excited <laughs> i appreciate your non-assumption though that's good <laughs> mm-hmm. that's good Love i'm gonna guess it. are you eight excited sure that sounds great are you i do what six you tell excited? me be contained it's no it's 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 up there but there's there's no measure for it it's what Lacey tells you it you're is. six that's right let's be I? honest <laughs> All right, let's move into community questions for today. What do you got for us, Krista? So our first question is from Stefan G, who asks, if someone wants to be an entrepreneur in the pop culture space, how closely do you think they need to follow new or emerging technologies? Hmm. Okay. So if you want to be an entrepreneur in the pop culture space, do you need to keep up very well with uh, new upcoming technologies? There's an argument a, to be had there. Yeah, I think it's important to stay up on them. I'm not sure you have to adopt them. I think entrepreneur is somebody who's looking to disrupt and somebody who's looking to do things differently. So doing what everybody else is doing is not necessarily always helpful, although it does kind of educate and inform the work that you're doing. And so it's important, I think, in that sense to research and know what's happening so that you know how to position what you're doing. Uh, I don't think I would look at that in terms of how to become dependent or how to adopt those things the best to serve you. Although there's an argument to be made there. I just think, I don't know, it could go either way. Yeah, I think it It depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Like, I think, I, I, I think being entrepreneurial is about anticipating. You know, so you're anticipating whatever you're anticipating. Like, what people are going to need, what people are going to want, what people are going to have XYZ reaction to. And sometimes that involves new technologies. Often it doesn't. There are plenty of companies right now that are, you know, have a very strong community built around, you know, paper notebooks. It's not an emergent technology, but they've built a community around it in an entrepreneurial way. And I think I think the, the the concept of like entrepreneurship in general is like gets really involved in sort of like hype man worldview and language all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think like just relax a little and make what you want to make and do what you want to do. And if that involves new technologies and that excites you, then you're in the right place. But like making a business or making something new is an unbelievable amount of work. It is hard and it's a long game and it needs to be something that you personally really care about, not just you trying to like jump where it feels like things are going because you like your motivation can't be success. Your motivation has to be the thing that you're doing. And if the thing that you want to do doesn't involve new technologies, then that shouldn't be a big focus for you. That, that there's no right or wrong way to make something that people are going to find valuable. Yeah, you are looking for conduits to communicate what you're doing to, to kind of spread the word. So I think, I think keeping your eyes open is really important. 
And especially when you're entering into a new unproven space as an entrepreneur, you want to look at all of the options and closely scrutinize what's going to be the best way for you to connect with people. Um, and some of that is going to be very technology driven, you know, especially if it's a social platform or, or whatever for communication or an internal process. Um, even if you're making something that's not technology driven, right? Even if you're doing pottery, it, like how do I reach my audiences? I, I do think I, I, the question is, a little, is phrased a little funny for me, but I, I think you want to keep your eyes open. But you're right. It's it's not necessarily going to chart the course for you. The entrepreneurial mindset is we're charting our own course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And new technologies represent opportunities. So sure. Hang out in that space a little bit and see if any opportunities occur to you. Like this is something that I really want to pursue. But I think if like, and they said pop culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like if the pop cultural relevant thing that you're wanting to do, like just because it doesn't involve you know, like virtual spaces or NFTs or whatever, like the the new technology is, doesn't mean that it's going to, going to fail or isn't worthy. Like you don't have to force your passion into the new spaces for it to be relevant to society. It, here's what's interesting as I think about what you were saying. Popular culture is generally speaking IP driven content, right? Existing IPs, because that's why it's popular culture. And if you're becoming entrepreneurial in a space with other people's IPs, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing to wrestle with, right? So like one of the things that we do is we're building our own IPs and we're trying to position them, but we've got other IPs that we kind of hang out with, right? Like we kind of create this little community and we, we talk about got IPs on the side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, you know, technologies is interesting. Um, we, we're not super reliant on heavy technology here for what we do. In fact, we're talking about very analog vertical for us at least it has been in terms of board games but um as it relates to pop culture in that framework I, d I do think that's a little bit different than entrepreneurial you know intent in other verticals i think one thing that's interesting too is any type of entrepreneur if you're looking forward technologically um, you're kind of poising yourself for hyper growth because these new markets do give the opportunity for hyper growth going from nothing to something very quickly. However, that growth in new technologies is often not sustainable growth. And so you have to think to yourself what your individual goals are as an entrepreneur. Are you trying to, you know, slow build something into existence or are you trying to have a hyper growth situation? Um, and there's benefits and, and negatives to both. You know, I'm much more of a stable, slow build kind of entrepreneur um, and, and kind of loathe. Uh, I even have a nickname for the type of people who are like growth hackers and whatnot. JT is their name. Um, Solid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it definitely depends on what kind of business you're actually trying to to bring about and, and at what speed you're trying to grow said business to, I think. The, the question really that you should be answering for people is how are we uniquely valuable, right? Like, how are we proprietary? What is what is it about this brand that is unique and engaging and worth someone's time? Right. And so that's just the core brand message and everything else 
is a tool to leverage the passion behind that message, right? Like, why do we do what we do? Who, who are we? What do we do? And why should people care? Right? That's, that's the core of it. And leveraging technology and leveraging systems and processes and um, anything else, I think should serve, how can we be more valuable to our audiences? And they are different, right? Our customers, our clients, our staff, they're all audiences and they're different. How can we be more and more generous? How can we be more and more valuable to those audiences? And then how can we spread the word? Yeah, so even wondering, you have to identify that audience and then figure out where they are, right? So if your audience is an audience that is tech-focused, then and and are early adopters of new technologies then you might choose to have a, a heavy focus on new technology yeah if they're if they're not then you probably would have less yeah what what is the tribe that you're empowering mm-hmm. and yeah if they don't care about new technology then you don't either mm-hmm. unless there's an opportunity there that they haven't seen yet okay or if it's part of your infrastructure to communicate Right. Your, your product doesn't have to be technology focused, but your communications often do. I like when I say things and you look at me and you say, OK, well, I'm trying to transition <laughs> and then Mark has to keep talking. So You're like, sure. Sorry about my <laughs> sure. Those were, those, okay. those were words. Let's move on to the next question. OK, so our next question is from Janine S. who asks, what are some of your strongest, best or most powerful memories of working at Orange Nebula? Strongest, best, or most powerful. (laughs) You know, this is interesting. My friend Megan and I have been talking a lot lately about anytime somebody uses the word good or bad, is powerful what they really mean? Um, You know, because anything that's good or bad, it's just kind of like it's sucking energy from you, whether it's positive or negative. You've been having this conversation, like, repeatedly. Yes. You've just been (laughs) debating this for weeks. Every time I say good, she's like, do you mean powerful? (laughs) Okay. But anyway... I have so many answers I could use for this. Um, Tom, I want you to go first. Do you, okay. you feel ready? Yeah, I've got a couple too. Um, a very strong, clear memory for me is was the last night before we sent Unsettled Files. Mm. Um, and Mark and I were at the office until like 5 a.m. It was this like stay until it's done day. Um, and we'd been doing really long days the week preceding the year preceding really but these were instead of 15 hour days they were you know 18 20 hour days and then this day was we're literally not leaving till we're done and we were at the office it was morning it was like dawn basically and we we had that like hot and freezing and sound feels weird like total exhaustion thing going where the world is just this nether world that you exist in and um Mark was doing all the file prep, which if you don't know, takes an unbelievable amount of time. And it was just a cool experience. Like it was just, we were here late. We were, it felt very much like we are at the end of this thing. Like it had been this very long, exhausting journey. And it was like one of those rare moments in life where you know, like this is the transition point. It ends today Mm -hmm. and it felt appropriately big. And you broke into musical song and dance. A little bit. And um, it actually, though, like the moment, like the pressure and excitement and weirdness of the moment facilitated a lot of cool things that actually made it into the game. Like I read through the survival tasks for all the planets that last night and read through all the narrative. And it just like I just it just felt a little like it was a little it needed to be looser. Like mm. I felt like this just 
the soul of it is there, but it just needs to like shake its shoulders out a little bit and feel a little more like full of vibrancy. And like at like 4 a.m., I rewrote almost every piece of narrative <laughs> in all the survival tasks. And it was almost like the entire two year period preceding it was just warm up. And then I did all hour. of that work <laughs> that night. And like, all of my favorite pieces of writing in the game happened in that evening. Mm. Like if you have laughed out loud at something in Unsettled, I almost guarantee you it was written at 4.30 a.m. on the final day. Through delirium. And like... With the montage playing in the background. Yeah. And, and it just picture. it just was fun. And I actually felt proud and not stressed of what we were doing, which isn't always the case for me. And it was just a very, very cool day. That's beautiful. I'm living it again in my head right now. That was that was a heavy, heavy week, and there was a lot of strain. But you're right. There was this burden lifted that had to do with the culmination of years of work coming together and feeling like we're really over the top of that now. And it was, yeah, it was it was a huge effort, and that was like the climactic moment for it. And we've had other moments associated with that too, but not everything gets a legitimate climactic moment though. That was cool. I have, I have two short ones to share. Um, and they're both from old school orange nebula, you know, like orange nebula 1.0. It's like, um, I will say the first one is when the in between, between when we canceled the first Kickstarter and started the second. And I put together this, like, I don't know, you know me. I did a little ritual, you know. There's like there was lockers and bags. It's just sacrifices and candles. <laughs> there was lockers and bags full of like old components that were used during playtesting over the years. And so I kind of pulled out all of these old components and I set them up on Mark's back patio. And I like kind of just set up this scene to show like the years of work that had gone into this and and I did light a little candle and I wrote a little note and, and Mark and I both sat out there and just kind of made some intentions about just the amount of work that had gone into it to this point and just letting go of expectations from that point and just letting it, whatever would come next, you know, if this was our second attempt at, at doing a Kickstarter, whatever would come next, we would accept and, and you know, be grateful and happy for and I felt like that letting go before that next launch was a very powerful um, moment for us. And quite honestly, that was a teaching moment for me. Like that felt to me like <clears throat> I had so much invested in this from a personal perspective to sit out there and have somebody else basically give me permission or, or remind me to give myself permission to just let it go and just release this creative thing into the world and let it fall where it was going to fall was new for me at the time. And that there was a huge, you know, sigh of relief during that, that I think was important for me. Um, so yes, I remember that very mm -hmm. vividly. And then the second one is just like a matter of a few weeks later, you know, as we get into that, 
Kickstarter and we hit the first hundred thousand and and we're like sending each other selfies like this is amazing. And then as we get close to the the last closing day and all of a sudden it ramps up and we hit 200 that day and our endorphins were just off the charts. Right. And we're like sitting. I don't know those of you who, who were there back then. You probably remember this. We did like a closing ceremonies live stream, just Mark and I. And we were sitting there and um, we thought that the campaign closed an hour earlier than it actually did. And so we're sitting there doing this closing live stream saying, well, we've got five more minutes. And then we start seeing the comments come in that are like, that's so cute. They think it's only five minutes and it's an hour and five minutes. So we then had to sit there on the couch and, and entertain for another hour. Yep. <laughs> Um, I remember that too. And that I've got a screenshot of us just laughing hysterically from that live stream that like totally encompasses the power of, of that moment. The first real kind of success of this campaign coming after, um, you know, canceling the one before and, and, and doing this kind of prep ritual before letting go and letting whatever happened happen that kind of closed that circle. Which is still terrifying because what happens is then then you fund for something that people haven't actually played or used yet. <laughs> and so it's just like, oh, crap, I hope everybody likes this. Uh-huh. But, yeah, that was a big moment. Yeah. I remember jumping up and down on couches at yes. the end. And, mm-hmm. yeah, like that was, boy, culmination of years of work, though. You can't help but be emotional mm-hmm. and and I, yeah, I have no regrets about any of that stuff. For me, it was this last Kickstarter for Vindication last year about this time and doing the the um, exercises with the community, creating the sketches that would turn into the cards for the community pack and getting to see all the votes, all the creative mm. names and titles and then all the stories in the comments, just like long, incredibly inventive, well thought out stories about these characters and then getting to immediately bring them to life and know that they're gonna be a part of this pack that everybody was a part of, just so invigorating and so much like, energy right there in the moment isn't it amazing you spend so much of your time kind of siloed in your creation process that to open it up that way and have this immediate feedback is such a different experience than what you normally are doing absolutely and it made me realize how much I really like that because I am kind of a like a hide in the shadows and draw creature and so realizing that wow this can be a thing that immediately impacts other people that immediately sparks their imagination was just incredible and it's really fun to see like like you do a sketch that takes an hour and you put it out there and then how much people pour story into that sketch and now that sketch that image lives in a hundred different realities now as being this different thing for different people that they're attached to and that like all of that was spawned by this cool mashup of your imagination and their imagination yeah. sort of coming together to make a thing. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Gives it so much life. Mm-hmm. What do you got, Mark? Can you pull it? Can you pull anything specific? It's a journey. There's milestones. You know, I have milestones with all of you. Um, I was thinking to myself, none of the real memorable moments that I have at Orange Nebula are me with my sketchbook or with my computer or engineering or designing or making products. They always have like one of you Mm. in, in it. Like it's always like a, there's another human interaction. I'm thinking to myself, 
almost all of it is the people who are in the trenches, you know, doing the work. And, you know, a lot of it just is, it gets deeper the harder it is, right? The, the more difficult and arduous the journey, the more rewarding and the more, the higher the high moments are. So, yeah, I mean, I've got half a dozen with every single person in the company that I think are memorable. I don't, I don't even really think about Orange Nebula products as much as I think about Orange Nebula as a living organism. Mm -hmm. And so most of it is how we're all kind of inspiring and unlocking each other. Um, yeah, there's a familial thing going on. Like, I'm just going to take this somewhere else for a minute. Okay. Um, what is definitely my strongest, clearest, most powerful moment with the company um, is, I'm sorry, I'm just, we're now suddenly going there. Yeah. Um, early on in the company, before we really had a public face that people could interact with, um, we were a four-person team, um, five-person team, and one of those people was a woman named Mel. And you all didn't have the opportunity to know Mel because Mel passed away. And, you know, I don't, it would take a very long time of us just going off to encapsulate how special Mel was, but just accept that that's how we feel about Mel. And there was a day that we were all in the office and Mel always came to work around the same time and she wasn't there. And it was like, you know, that's very unusual. And by 30 minutes later, it was like, okay, something is wrong. Like, this is not, you know, Mel is not late to things. And then, you know, a couple hours later, like, we just understood, like, something terrible has happened. What, whatever we end up hearing about what has happened, it's bad. And so, like, we just tried to go through a day and but everyone was distracted and then sort of the go home time came and like Mark and I just couldn't leave. Like it just felt like, like we just, we couldn't go home. Like we had this unanswered question about this member of our family. And so we just stayed and it turned into the night and we were in Portland at the time and we walked over the bridge and we just sort of like milled around and it was dark out and we went and we sat and we got pizza at some random fancy pizza place. And, you know, we, we didn't even really talk that much. Like normally Mark and I are scheming and dreaming and have a thousand things to talk and argue and whatever about, but we were just sort of together and we knew that, you know, when tomorrow came, we were going to have some piece of bad news, but we also knew that like, we couldn't end the night like we could we just couldn't go home and because it felt in a way like we were abandoning our friend or our family to go home like and you know and and so mark and i just sort of shared that moment together and you know derek was with us too at that time you know so it was like and it just really, obviously, there, that's a very, you know, and the next day we found out that she had passed away in her sleep. She was in her 20s, you know, it was a very surprising thing. But, you know, it it was this, obviously, this, it's, it's a heavy, big memory for that reason. 
but it also exists in my mind as this moment when it really clicked that like we are a family and it's not just this business of us making things like we do share something so much deeper in this group and i feel like that has continued as the group has grown you know we have nine people here now if someone didn't show up for work it would feel the same way because there's a special atmosphere going on in the office and i feel like that became a, a mix of abundantly evident that day but i feel like it was almost almost like founded that day like we need to be about each other in a way that transcends the work and like there will be nothing that this company does that's not going to be influenced by that day for the entire rest of the time the company exists it was a very yeah i have a lot of thoughts about that too i'll try to keep it brief um my first natural responses to that when mel passed were you know life sucks this is you know, this is part of the, the crap we have to it's go not through. Fair. It's not fair. The deeper reflection afterwards is life is so amazing. Like we have to, we have to make it count and we have to make the journey count. And it doesn't matter where we're going and what we want ahead. It's about what we're doing right now. It's about the time that we have and, <clears throat> you know, respecting each other and, and building community and family. And, and so, yeah, it was a really, that was a really gelling moment for us. Like all of us having go, th go through such a small team, losing someone so young, so unexpectedly, um, you know, and I think that's, that's the effect someone close to you passing has, but here it did, it did solidify some type of foundational character or resolve or something that said there has to be depth to what we're doing that goes beyond doing this for money, right? And we decided, I think, from the beginning, but we decided specifically at that point, we're never going to put something out that we're not proud to have our name hang, hung, hanging on it. So that was a cool moment in that perspective. Um, tough time solidified us and made us, made us better and stronger. Are there any other just pieces that you want to share from what's felt most powerful to you before we move on to our main topic? There's so many, you know, it's like in some ways Orange Nebula has just been, it's bigger than me, right? But in some ways I feel like it's my child at the same time and you look at your children and they have <laughs> their own personality and they kind of go their own way sometimes and they're a little unruly sometimes and sometimes they're just so ad adorable you want to hug them and I feel like Orange Nebula is that way for me. I, I love it so much. And it's because of the people that are in it and the personalities. And, you know, I'm not going to remember the projects and the numbers later. I'm going to remember the people and the moments later. And, and even this, you know, I'm going to look back and be like, remember that video cast stuff that we were doing, that podcast stuff that we were doing? Um, that stuff matters. And, and it makes up, you know, the chapters of our life. And I, I don't know if I can really piece out one or two um, aside from the ones we've talked about. Um, I know I could actually, I know I could probably do 30 of them, but the whole, I mean, I just, I feel like if I was to go back and give myself advice, I would say get into a situation like this sooner. 
Remember when we went to that Gen Con and we recorded that five-hour podcast we've still never published? <laughs> yes. And we were just dragging like cables. 70 feet of cables behind us as we walked all around like downtown Indianapolis. Yes. And everyone Bunch was looking of at amateurs. It. It yeah. Awesome. But that's what was funny about it. Like, I know. What if we just dragged all this crap down the street? And we did. And we did. And it was awesome. And people mocked us. And that was even better. It was mock-worthy. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. We've lived mock-worthy lives. All right, so our main topic that we're covering today is villains, okay? So I've got a, a long list of questions that we are laboriously going to get through. Um, or Why are you, like, <coughs> what normally, saying this in an angry tone at me? Like, <laughs> Or what normally happens is we get to none of my questions because y'all just talk, 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 talk about it. So That's why we're here. Okay, well, we'll try to talk less about <laughs> your topic. Just talk about it the way I want you to talk about that. Oh, I, there nice. we go. Thank That's you. Now yes. we found okay. it. So I'm going to give you a minute to think. Okay, a couple of questions we're going to go over here is what what important role do villains play in storytelling? Okay, so a villain is a huge part of, of most story. What role do they play? While you think about that, uh, I looked up a little bit of the background of villain even as a word. And originally, the word villain is derived just from the word uh, villager in uh, Latin. But, but also, at some point, the word vile came into this. So a villain is a vile villager. Aren't all villagers. Vile. Just <laughs> vile. Um, so that's kind of the background of, ha- of what a villain really is, is this vile villager. So what important role do these vile villagers play? I feel like there's probably a little more to the back story of that word than... Vile villager. You, you write a Wikipedia <laughs> article about it then. Just My gosh. Vile. <laughs> you. Sorry, did you ask us a question? Yes. What important role do villains play in storytelling? What are you looking at me for? Oh, I don't know. Because you're on the other couch. The question came from this all couch right, and then it bounces right. to the other couch, right? Well, I would say that it is to be... Thank you, Krist. Goodness <laughs> sake. Like a, a foil for the protagonist. It's like it's a way to split these two sides of an issue and have it reflect reflect the bad onto one and the good onto other and so that they are able to interact within this world and so that we can kind of visualize these two aspects which are internal occurring externally. So it's like a, it's it's like a side dish to the hero, right? The hero is the one going along, the protagonist is going along, and the villain is there to kind of uh, you know, provide foils to the plan. The protagonist is not the protagonist without the antagonist, right? Mm. Like not to say that it's always a villain. There's got to be emotional conflict at some point for the story to be compelling. There has to be something to be overcome. And I think the villain, for me, has always just kind of been, uh, you know, a personification of that. Um, There's a couple different ways that I look at villains. Number one is you love to hate them. Like, you're just like, oh, this person is vile. It's a vile villager. Yeah, nothing unites people like a common enemy. Right. Uh A commoner enemy. A vile (laughs) villager. It's all coming together. (laughs) But then there's this other discussion that, that seems really popular, which is like, can you empathize? Can you mm-hmm. empathize with the villain? What do you put that right? on? That that it's a it's an it's, honorable question. It, I don't know about honorable. It's just a question. Go on. You know, can you empathize? And I and I you know <laughs> one I, more time. <laughs> he did it again. Just to spite me. 
That's me being the villain. Who's the villain here? <laughs> right. Ooh. That's so vile. Ooh. Ooh, look out. Can you sympathize with me? God, no. Keep uh, back no. On no one, way, no one can. Nobody can. <laughs> They're no like, no, no he must die. I think what you guys are saying is really interesting, though, is that the, 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 the villain, so to speak, um, like they represent something that needs to be overcome, which... You know, like so sometimes a villain represents something about our culture or the world or even ourselves and it's it's something that you would would want to that, that like opposes your action as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a person in the world um, but it is it is an interesting question the whole and I, I'm sure this is where you're, yes. you're you're trying to take us all shut up Jared even brought up to me um, as we were getting prepped for this the idea because he's an actor so the idea that if you're playing a villain it's very important for you to see yourself as the protagonist in your own story right so so the villain if we were looking at any story from a different perspective the villain could be a protagonist as well. And so you have to be able to embody that when you're acting as the villain in order to come off authentically. Um, yeah, and I thought when, when you, because you asked us the other day, like, think about some of your favorite villains. And one of the things that was really occurring to me that was interesting was thinking about, and I was focusing mostly on movies and TV shows. Um, like, there are a number of shows that I really enjoy where literally everyone could be considered a villain depending mm-hmm. on your point of view, like mm-hmm. like The Expanse or The Wire, you know, it, you know, so it's like, are the drug crews villains or are the cops villains? You know, it's like, well, it depends which, whose side the camera is on in that mm-hmm. minute. And I think that is really interesting going to the, you know, whole protagonist versus antagonist as a perspective element mm-hmm. and kind of what you're getting at. So um, I'll kind of move into what some of our favorite villains are. I'll start because it, it has to do with empathizing with them. Um, wow. But uh, I was trying to think if there were any villains that were that actually were the protagonist. Okay, are there any stories where we've got to the point where the villain is the protagonist? And the best thing I could think of and come up with is Megamind. Um, so Megamind, as a, as a cartoon movie... Um, has Megamind as the main character. He is the villain, but he's the main character. And so I thought a little deeper, why is it that, and how in this story did we get the villain to be the main character? And what I think it is, is the beginning of the movie opens with the backstory. And the backstory shows, you know, Megamind being led off by his parents, you know, all alone, his parents sacrificing to save him. And then this hero comes in and pushes him off his track and he ends up bouncing into some sort of uh, of a orphanage where the hero ends up with this beautiful loving family and it would have been the the villain with the beautiful loving family if the hero didn't knock him off his flight path and so immediately from the beginning we say it with me empathize thank you we (laughs) we empathize with the villain and so i think the relatability that's given by having that strong backstory at the beginning is what makes it capable for the villain to be the main character so megamind is one of my one of my favorite villains i mean so if you're asking things where villains are the main character where villains are the protagonist is that the current question it's not a question i'm the question is what's your favorite villains and so i was trying to find a villain where they were empathized with because that's in my nature and i I think that's like that's true of almost like every heist movie you know Mm. every time denzel does something illegal because his family needs money or his son needs a surgery or whatever like 
technically i guess he's a villain mm -hmm. but you know we're all on his side be for the most part because he's trying to do x y good yes. thing mm -hmm. he was pushed there mm -hmm. um my my favorite villain so my family and i were talking about this over dinner actually last night okay. I was like, what are our favorite villains um and um we kept circling around these claude reigns characters okay. so like like his character in casablanca is technically a villain because he's like opposing you know he he is part of the police force that's like oppressing people mm -hmm. but he, you know you kind of like him and he ends up kind of being this best friend figure so to in a way and and you know so yeah he's a villain but he's also and what, what was really clear to me when we were talking about that was how interesting it was that like it's not necessarily him that's the villain. It's the thing that he represents. Mm. And, you know, he as a person is kind of, you know, a likable guy. But because of his life circumstances or a couple of his life choices, he represents this force in society that is sort of like this abstract villain. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, so what really is the villain? Okay. And is, is it the social construct or is it the human beings enacting the social construct? And that was that was really interesting. And anyways, I just like Claude Rains. So there were there okay. were a number of other movies where he's like there's there's this movie, the Hitchcock movie. And there's a quote about villains we could dig up for this. But like um, where it, he um, plays. I'm tr sorry. I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of the movie at the same time that I'm thinking of him. I'll, <laughs> I'll come, swing back to me. OK. So it sounds like from both of our sides, villains that we really like are ones that are really relatable and, and you can empathize with. What about on, on your side of the couch? Do you have a favorite villain, Krista? My answer is going to be long and convoluted, so I'll let Mark go first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I look, at, I look at my daughters, and they, you know, they, they wish that Kylo mm. would have killed Rey and because they felt like he was misunderstood and... and uh, they were really tragically disappointed with the end of the Star Wars really? trilogy of trilogies. Yeah, just because they, yeah, Ray is a little holier than thou and doesn't need to be getting all the limelight and she's fake, fake humble and whatever she is. Yeah, they, they wanted love Kylo the dark to. Side. They do love the dark side mm -hmm. and they they love Vader. Um, I think it. I think in some ways that it, all of this villainy is heroes and villains are just a mirror for ourselves too, right? The things we hate about villains are the things we hate about ourselves and the things we love about heroes. Maybe the same thing, maybe stuff that we're aspiring to. I, I do think they did a really good job with Thanos and the Avengers mm. movies. Um, <clears throat> I have mixed feelings about it, but, but I think in some ways they did a really good job of trying to make that villain relatable and you could see yourself a little bit in Thanos. The stoicism of making hard choices. Yeah, and I mean, most of the villains that I relate to are much older, and they go back to my childhood and stuff like that. But for the most part, I I like the concept of the villain more than I like a particular villain, mm. because I think that there are some through lines and there are some variations that that let me look a, a little bit differently about my perspective and other people's perspectives. Because, like you said, like where well, like Tom was saying earlier, someone's villain is somebody else's hero, and that's that's probably the the takeaway for me bring your long co convoluted answer <laughs> bring on the convolution <laughs> so i'm really fascinated by like some concepts from child psychology and how one of the things that a really young infant does to kind of understand the world when it has you know very little power and very little defense is that it kind of splits the world into into two into like an all bad 
you know, things that are harmful and dangerous to me and all good, at least in this theory. And, uh, you know, good is life bringing, it's love, it's nurture. And so there's these kind of two sides. And I kind of see villains as portraying that, mm. at least in some cases. We're mm -hmm. all children then. <laughs> I, think, I think we tend to do that, you know, yeah, here, well. oh, on my side or not on my side. You see that in our culture right now too, mm -hmm. politically and everywhere else. And I think that's one of the purposes of fantasy is to allow us to do that and give us this place to do that. It's probably why I like to lean so much into that empathizing and why I got offended when you talked that way about it is that there is this culture of othering. And so any time where I think we can bridge the gap to empathize with someone in a story that is intentionally trying to be othering, it's a lesson that we can take into our lives um, that I think is important. Did you find the name of the movie? Yeah, it's called Notorious. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great movie. You should watch Notorious. Um, <laughs> But that that is a Hitchcock movie, and the the Hitchcock quote is something along the lines of like 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 the stronger the villain, the stronger the picture, yeah, I or have something one, like that. A story is as strong as its villain. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I think that there is really something to that. Definitely in movies, like you understand what he's getting at. Like mm -hmm. the, if the hero of the movie over the protagonist of the movie, like the more they overcome or the bigger the threat is against them, like the higher the tension, the more interested and invested you are. Like that just makes sense. But I think that. Um, it does, it, boy, I'm really tired. <laughs> I don't need, I have no idea where I was going with that. Okay. Well, I have a transition. Yeah, wait, wait, you. I didn't get to say about my favorite villain. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a book that I have been absolutely in love with is East of Eden by Steinbeck okay. and it is its villain or kind of I guess concept of villain it's one that just sticks in my mind because it's 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 not simple it takes a long time to figure it out and one of the things is that the I guess character that you could call the villain is very very bad like seems almost like an all bad character and he doesn't really give much explanation for this at the beginning he's kind of like maybe she was born that way and at first I found that very dissatisfying but then it's the way that he deals with that later. And the reason that this villainous character is even able to play the role that she does in the story is because the one of the protagonists idealizes her and mm. sees her as all as all good. Oh, and interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the bridge into, you know, she's just kind of in her own world doing her own things. She doesn't even really want to interact with the protagonist it kind of, and, and then they're brought together by this idealization of her. And it's, it's just so fascinating because almost I would say the villain in the story is not her. She's just a person being what she is and doing what she does. But like the villain is this idealization, this seeing somebody as not as they are, but as what you want or need them to be. That's heavy. <laughs> That's when, heavy. That's really poignant. When I brought in the, the concept of a vile villager, it's like vile is this sense of s people agree on it being immoral or, or bad or wrong. And so it's interesting thinking about the idea that morals can be subjective 
you know and so the the bad that everybody could see was bad this person didn't see and, and instead thought of it as good and it just it twists it so much it's 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 something to wrestle with internally yeah and i think that's one of the huge themes of that book is what is good and evil is that a thing out there is that or is that a thing internally like can we take these and and, and have them wrestle with them and and have them both inside ourselves internally yeah it's interesting because if you search for the word villain and just scroll through all the different definitions almost all of them have some say Immoral. something about like yeah they're motivated toward evil ends or mm -hmm. something like that mm -hmm. if you vilify someone who's the villain mm. Do you have an answer to that, or that just sound like a cool thing to say? <laughs> really, really high view. Of, if you could just empathize a little bit with me, that'd be great. Okay, so one more concept that I want to go through here uh, that's going to lead us into a discussion that I want to have that might lead us into another podcast topic soon. But I was looking at uh, different archetypes for villains, and, um, you know, somebody put together different archetypes. And so a few of them that are listed here is the false donor. Okay. The false donor is a villain who utilizes trickery to achieve their ends. Okay. That's one type of villain. Um, another is <clears throat> the beast character who relies on their instincts and ability to cause destruction to achieve their ends. Another one is the authority figure who already has attained a level of command and power, but always craves more. And what happened to me when I started going through these archetypes and I listened to that one, um, when it talked about always craving more, I started to think about um, the Potawatomi tribes. Uh, they have a, a monster in their, in their lore called the Wendigo. And so the Wendigo is a type of character that's been used in lots of different uh, literature and movies. And... I started getting deep into that because the idea of a Wendigo is that it craves and, and that craving within it is the thing that uh, is the, the, the personality trait that's the strongest. Yes. But as I dove into that, I was thinking that really is just a monster and not a villain. And so is there a difference between a monster and a villain? And where is that line? Yeah, I think that also plays into the conversation we had in the office the other day. Is there a difference between a villain and an obstacle? Mm -hmm. Which I thought was a very cool question. And I, I, I think we could really try to go deep with like defining terms. And mm -hmm. but I, it might just be more fun just to consider it. Yeah. But I, I, I think you know what's what you say about that about the craving. Mm -hmm. Like what's interesting to me about that is I can still apply like fear of this craving to myself. Mm -hmm. Like. I can see how someone would like that is something I fear in the world or scared of existing in myself that, you know, it's almost like a metaphor of someone overcoming. Yeah. Um, but monsters is really interesting on the whole, like, or even like Terminator, mm -hmm. you know, like when you have a, a villain that almost has, you know, nothing that we as human beings could identify with, mm -hmm. you know, they just, you know, at least with monsters, like they have some sort of like primal urge mm -hmm. and um, like and agency where you see, yeah, like, yeah. Okay. So alien is thinks differently than Krista thinks probably, but you know, <laughs> it's still, a, it's still a living being, you know, something like a machine chasing you that like not only 
you can't identify with it and it almost doesn't even have agency mm-hmm. it just exists to do a function and that function is get you yeah because that can't like, be a villain the villain skynet in that case it's what's controlling. is it is it or is terminator a villain mm-hmm. you know that that's a really because it's freaking scary yeah to like, be chased it, by a machine does it do you have to have independent thought and to be a villain mm-hmm. but but then at that point is terminator just an obstacle because it doesn't have independent yeah. thought so or you because you, if not to argue that terminator is not a villain you know is quicksand a villain mm-hmm. if i if i simplify yeah. it for me the villain threatens what i believe right mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't even have to be evil necessarily like, but if you threaten what I believe or if you do, like, it's like what we're talking about empathize, right? Like that threatens what you believe a little bit. Does quicksand threaten what you believe? <clears throat> is I don't think it's a villain. Does Terminator threaten what running you out of oxygen? Is that a villain? Right. That would kill me. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. Um, the villains that make you feel an emotional response, or I should say that make me feel an emotional response tend to threat that's why there's such a moral line there right wrong and everybody Mm -hmm. has a different perspective on that but if they threaten what you believe it does kind of bolster something up in you Mm. emotionally that makes you want to remove them you know Mm -hmm. i do actually really like that or rehabilitate them if you're empathetic Mm -hmm. as long as you're talking about a belief beyond i should live yeah Mm-hmm. Right, or get more. Mm-hmm. The, oh, that's that moral piece. That's where that moral piece comes in of a villain, right? Is that you've deemed the difference is I believe in this moral, they're challenging that moral, um, which is different than just I want to live. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. thinking about that. Is it always a moral or is it just a belief? And is I, there a difference? There, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, I believe in gravity. Right. Is mm-hmm. it immoral to think not? Yeah, if somebody challenged your belief of gravity, does that make them a villain? It makes them dumb. Come on. <laughs> Come on. See, now that challenges you. You are the villain. <laughs> you I, I think it does I think yes. it does I think it does need to involve morality. Yeah. And that that does make it subjective. Mm-hmm. So Which I, is why some people love some villains and hate others. We are talking ourselves into Terminator not being a villain, though. Which we is are. Re- which is really interesting. I guess, you know, can a computer be a villain? So, cool. I buy this. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see some in-depth Venn diagrams of, like, villains versus monsters versus obstacles. What What is different about them? What is the same about them? Um, that would be interesting to my brain. All right. Homework. <laughs> <laughs> Krista likes homework. <laughs> okay, so what what is like the takeaway for this conversation? Like, yeah, okay, we've kicked this around a okay. little bit, but like if we look at our own relationships with pop culture, what is it about this topic that we can have in mind when we move forward into engaging with stuff in the future? One of the biggest things I think is just that a story isn't really a story without some sort of villain. Whether it is a villain or a monster or an obstacle, it's opposition, you know, opposition is what makes something interesting and finding defining that opposition and why it feels in opposition to you and how you can relate to a character um that's that's what i think is what you can kind of take from this looking for what is it that is making what it is it in the story that is making this character a villain why is it is it chafing me the way it is um 
See, I like I like that question because I kind of I I would probably refute for myself the idea that a story has to have an opposing force. Okay. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies ever is My Neighbor Totoro, and it's just about two girls and their dad moving into a house. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's no villain. Mm-hmm. It's just charming. Um, but I do really like the notion that if you're engaging with something that has a villain and you are having an emotional reaction to that villain, it's cool to take a minute and ask yourself why, mm-hmm. like what say. is it that is being poked in me or triggered in me or that is causing my reaction. And when I identify that, or at least nibble around the edges of identifying that it's going to make my experience with whatever it is I'm watching, reading, deeper yes. and more valuable and more like fruitful in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The opportunity that exists is to explore your own awareness about what you believe. And then the inset opportunity inside that is to, is to challenge yourself and maybe be a little bit more open-minded to how other people view those things or maybe a different perspective. Uh, those I see as opportunities in story anyway is what can we what can we learn what can we you know how can we remain teachable um especially if those in those feelings become intense or you know what i mean so like if you really hate that villain and you find yourself really rooting maybe not even rooting for the protagonist because maybe you don't like the protagonist rooting for either the destruction of the villain destruction of the villain mm-hmm. and the protagonist in some cases well, yeah if you're rooting at all mm-hmm. right my six-year-old when asked what's interesting about having a bad guy in a story she said they make you feel rowdy oh wow <laughs> which i, like I think is pretty like on the nose of yes yeah uh-huh. so she's a genius well i'm feeling rowdy <laughs> i want um, i want to hear a generation <laughs> no i love that it like it triggers in you those similar perhaps similar kind of feelings that either that they are expressing or that you have in opposite either way it kind of triggers the the bad or you to recognize the bad mm-hmm. totally like that. all right let's get rowdy if you want to get rowdy <laughs> with us more um find us in the outpost community we're going to continue the conversation always from the podcast within the outpost community there and also if you want to be a part of these conversations and influence what we talk about you can go to orangenebula.com slash topics and we have a form there where you're going to be able to fill it out and maybe you've got a community question that you want. Maybe you've got a topic that you're really hoping that we can bring in. Maybe there's there's a nugget of wisdom you've learned that we'd love to you'd love to have us work into our conversations. Um, I'd love to have more of what you have to say to put in here so I don't have to listen to these people all so much. Yeah. You know? I mean, I love you. But and we're, like, we're going to go back to talking about these topics and these concepts prior to recording in the outpost community facebook group so that you can express your ideas and your thoughts and your reflections so that we can refer to them during the show yes and make the show feel smarter by using you definitely all right we just want to use you (laughs) villainous (laughs) thank you three thank y'all listening we will talk to you soon bye 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 think that toilet will ever be flushable why won't it ever flush after what you did to it no just, <laughs> <laughs> hey wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute the wait bathroom a minute. will never recover <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>